Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond Jr., and today we're welcoming Dave Bowden to the show. Dave is a creative pioneer and educator. He is the executive director of Grace Foundation, a Christian ethos charity that helps transform young people's lives through holistic education. Dave was previously the lead pastor in a local church for over a decade and has a well-established background in Christian ministry, working on local, national, and international projects that have benefited the next generation. He also co-created Clear Series, a media ministry that helps start spiritual conversations with young people all over the world. A relentless fan of Marvel movies and a lover of an occasional muddy bike ride in the English countryside, Dave lives, works, and writes in the West Midlands, England, with his wife Leah and their four children. Together, they are members of a relational network called Skylark International and are part of Life Church Bedworth. Bowden is also the author of Parallel Faith, which we'll be talking about today. Let's welcome Dave to the show. Okay, welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond Jr., and today I'm glad to be joined by Dave Bowden uh, from across the pond, right, as folks say? Absolutely. It's great to be here. Yeah. Anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you? Well, I mean, I guess apart from being a father of four and really enjoying the fatherhood journey, ranging from my youngest being 12 now, my oldest being 21, um, it's I guess you learn a lot, don't you, about being a parent and um the journey both for you as a Christian and what it means for you to grow in your own faith and you realise all your own shortcomings, don't you, especially as you start to parent. Um, mm. but aside from that, it's probably worth you knowing that I've just become the avid owner of uh, a new puppy as well. Oh wow. Yeah. So exciting times in your household. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, share if you would kind of about your journey of faith, what that looked like in the past and what that looks like today. Yeah, I grew up in a, a Christian home. Parents were both raised, uh, raised us in actually quite an interesting, it was a charismatic evangelical church setting that originally came out of brethren. So that there was a lot of kind of that whole journey of coming out of the idea of being free from the shackles of religion and almost going into a new version of that, you know, the, the Holy Spirit had been outpoured uh, into church settings, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, mm-hmm. loads of kind of dynamic shifts in how we do meetings, but not necessarily real shifts in how we actually do church. Um, mm-hmm. So in many ways, I grew up in sort of like leaving behind one set of religious rules for another um, yeah. in some sense, um, but really became enthralled and encountered Jesus at the age of 14 as a teenager, going to summer camps where two things happened. One is I began to realize that there was a God in heaven who loved me, who cared about me, who had a plan for my life and wanted to use me and take me on a journey. Um, and also that's, that's a big part of like my own journey of like finding my identity in Christ. 
but also understanding that there was a world out there beyond our church walls where people didn't actually know Jesus. And it was quite interesting. When I was 14, I was in a church meeting where the pastor at the front said, um, I don't just want to see next week, uh, you know, the same old faces here. I want to see this room filled with your friends from school and people that don't yet know Jesus. And to be honest, I genuinely didn't know that lots of people weren't involved in the world I was because mm. it's so easy for us to grow up in a bubble, isn't it? Where we don't actually yeah. realize that there's people beyond it. So that set me on a bit of a path of wanting to really understand what life looked like beyond the Christian bubble. How do I reach people and share the good news that I'd found? And how do we join the dots between this seemingly, um, you know, in many ways, the chasm between where the church was at and where the world was at? And probably the through line of destiny or the through line of the thread of where I was really uh, activating my faith so much was in working with young people because I've been impacted by God as a young person myself. From an early age, I began um, working in youth groups out on urban estates in the center of the UK, uh, reaching people who'd never, ever heard the name of Jesus, only knew him as a swear word. Hmm. And that was from 16, 17, 18. Then went on to leading summer camps where God was really kind of stirring my heart for the next generation. And now what I'm doing every single day through the role that I do in Grace Foundation, leading teams of people that are embedded into secular secondary schools, bringing a Christian ethos message. If you look back on my life, you will always see the thread of young people and you'll always see the thread of mission. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. What are some spiritual practices that are meaningful for you? At the moment, there's two big things that I'm really enjoying. One is listening to the Bible. So yeah. uh, I've, you may have not heard of it, but I use something called the Dwell app, which oh, is yeah, a yeah. very simple app. And the reason I love the Dwell app is it gives you short Bible readings, but they're done it in a British accent. You can select <laughs> your accent and you can also select the music because I used to get infuriated by those amazing sort of uh, Bible apps that you could download, but the music was too flowery or the voice was too strong or it just it grated me a little bit so i enjoyed listening to scripture but not the person but what i love about dwell is you can curate it a little bit um so i listen to that when i'm driving to work every day so that's one thing and the second thing that i'm really enjoying massively at the moment is writing hmm. and actually the act of creative writing has been a practice that even though we'll probably touch on the book today parallel faith it actually, I regularly started writing after I'd finished the book, Parallel Faith, hmm. in preparation for it coming out. Um, so I almost did things the wrong way around, really. Right. But writing weekly and regularly has been tremendously impactful in my own spiritual journey in helping me formulate thoughts, but also receive from God as well. I always say to my friends that, you know, I'm doing well in my mental health if two things are happening. One is that I'm telling stories and two is that I'm doing something creative. Hmm. That's a, that's a helpful, I'm just thinking like, I wonder what my two things would be. Yeah. And that's it. That's great self-awareness there. So intriguing. Well, yeah, let's talk people. about, let's talk about your book, Parallel Faith. Uh, yeah. Dave is the author of Parallel Faith, walking alongside others on their journey to Christ. Now I told Dave, I kind of want to frame this through an evangelism lens that I know perhaps for some of my listeners here, evangelism can be a scary word. I'm also thinking about 
thinking about a broader context that we live in. And Dave is perhaps in his context a little bit farther advanced than than my context and, and a lot of my listeners here in the States of, for lack of a better word, a secular society uh, living as if God doesn't exist and, and, you know, the church is really irrelevant. So maybe before we get too deep in that, talk just kind of about, you know, your ministry and then how the book came to be. Yeah, um, I think because so much of my time has been spent working beyond the church walls. I've been a lead pastor of a church um, for 11 years, but also was bivocational, mm-hmm. uh, which again is you know, something you guys talk a lot about on the podcast. Um, so leading in a school context, but also in church. And it just increasingly felt like those two worlds were just so far apart. And also when we began to talk about things like evangelism and discipleship with people who were already Christians, the feeling for me that there was two big things that were going on. One was that both evangelism and discipleship, which I see as, you know, on the same spectrum, not mm-hmm. as separate departments, was first of all being professionalized. So people were deferring to the pastor. They were preferring right. to somebody that was gifted at it, um, somebody that was on a platform, or it was being pigeonholed. It was being pigeonholed into the thing that you do on the streets at the weekend as a church activity. or you did, um, it, you know, between certain set hours in certain set ways. Right. And depending on what your personality type was, most of it led to the stereotypes led to you and me being disqualified. Yeah. You know, from it, whether we're talking about, uh, disciple making or evangelism. And I think I thought, well, hang on a minute. Because Jesus said to us, go into all the world and make disciples. That was like the one thing he told us to go and do. And it wasn't like he sort of came back 10 minutes later and said, hey, guys, I was only kidding. Here's another thing to actually get on with. This was the mission. If he genuinely told us to go, then he must have equipped us and empowered us to do it. And there must be a way that in every generation, every context, we can make disciples. We can reach people with the good news. So that really got me on this journey of looking at what this looked like in my own life. Uh, And over many years have being able to share my faith on a personal individual level, but also through the creation of resources for young people or ministries to reach out to young people. So I have something called Clear Series, which is uh, a whole set of videos which help start spiritual conversations with young people who've got no faith background whatsoever. And also in doing the schools work that I've been doing, we've been helping reach young people, again, who have just got no basic understanding of any of the stuff that you and I would um, call the good news whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And that journey in that context just led me to write Parallel Faith, where I just began to realize that the whole discipleship journey is really how do we walk side by side with people that's parallel? How do we walk side by side with God's purpose? And how do we walk side by side with God's people and people beyond the church walls? And I think that is really how I would now define the whole thing is how do we walk alongside others on their journey to Christ from any starting point? So I don't see evangelism just as an act. I don't see evangelism just as a one-off thing. I see it as a journey that you walk with people over time. And actually you and me may get one opportunity or two opportunities to be part of somebody's process of Mm -hmm. coming to faith. So it's not about a platform ministry. It's about a process one. 
and we're not responsible for the outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are responsible for our faithfulness in that. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate those words. I'm thinking about something you wrote in the book about that we don't understand fully the process of conversion. And if I'm if I'm thinking about your what you meant behind those words, and you can correct me if you're wrong, but I'm thinking about at least again in broadly speaking the Christian American Christian context, there's this idea that conversion is often, you know, at least as I heard it growing up, you know, you got to be the name, the the time, the place where that you made the decision to follow Christ. So what do you mean then by that we don't fully understand the process of conversion? Yeah, I guess the expectation along with the stereotype is that most people come, say, into a church meeting setting and they come pre-packaged and ready to go yeah so that when we from the front may share a gospel message which might involve good things like asking jesus into your heart or making a decision to follow christ we have the assumption that people know what that means mm-hmm. and we have the assumption that they're ready to respond to that kind of message uh and i think that you know there's two assumptions in that one is that they're ready to go but two is that they the the right place and the right time is to convert somebody often in an emotional moment, traditionally right. in the charismatic circles, there'll be music playing in the background. You want somebody right. to put their hand up and there's nothing wrong with that ramp up provided that there's effective follow-up. And generally speaking, we're brilliant at the ramp up and terrible at the follow-up. <laughs> yeah. And we seem to have this thing like we want people to sign on the dotted line mm-hmm. so that we can put it in our church newsletter Right, you know, and say and tell everybody how many decisions that came for Christ. When the reality is, you know, even back in the seventies, um, when they were doing big evangelistic crusades, I mean, you know, J- Dr. James Engel, you know, he wrote this book, didn't he? Uh, he invented what we now call the Engel scale. Have you heard of that? I have not. So, so the Engel scale is this idea that people have to take little steps towards Jesus okay. before they take big steps with him. So it's the idea that all of us start on this journey of faith. So right back from having no awareness of God yeah. through to becoming aware of us of God, awareness of our own humanity, the need for a savior, deciding to follow Jesus, growing in faith, and hopefully eventually becoming a disciple maker. That's the scale and spectrum. And James Engel did loads of research uh, back in the 70s on these massive evangelistic crusades. And it came from the idea that thousands of people were putting their hands up in meetings and weeks later, they would say, where are all these people in our church meetings? Because they were nowhere to be found. Right. And um, he came with the Engel scale. And he wrote this book, which I love the title of this book. It makes me laugh every time. It was called What's Gone Wrong with the Harvest, which I do think is just the best title mm-hmm. book ever. But it was this idea that actually we've got to start thinking that people may have barriers that need removing. People, there may be more of a process to this than we think. And probably the poster boy for conversion is somebody like paul the uh apostle you know he was Saul and he fell off his horse and suddenly became paul Mm -hmm. so therefore that we expect everybody to have that kind of dramatic conversion but even within paul's life he experienced the christian community that he was persecuting against he uh he observed and saw stephen in his life Mm -hmm. and he lived amongst the community where he was hearing the message in lots of different ways before he had his dramatic conversion. So generally speaking, where I think we've misunderstood it is that we 
it's almost like you've we're stood in the middle of a desert and we've mm-hmm. got a river down the road and there's a fish in the river and we're stood in the middle of the desert with our fishing rod and we are sort of expecting the fish to jump out of the river flap its way along the desert jump onto our fishing rod so that we can reel it in and say we've got one now that's a ridiculous an analogy and immediately it makes everybody laugh but i think most churches act like people's spiritual journeys start when they come into a church meeting when the reality is they don't Hmm. yeah i guess if we think about this way right paul or saul he had many different touch points before you know there was that dramatic experience for him um i'm also thinking of ryan burge's work here in the states who's who's I, I still kind of find this shocking, but I, you know, he has the data to back it up that a conversion experience does not lead to church attendance. And I guess that fits with your, your guide, James Engel. How do you spell that by the way? E N G E L. And, okay. and also just to add to that, um, just to be careful here, because one of the words that we use a lot in um, England and also here in the States is this idea of the word unchurched. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a massive, uh, like I give a massive warning against that word because, word because I feel like, you know, we've got to be really careful that the goal isn't to try to church people. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, when we say the phrase on church, it's almost like we're saying, don't worry, guys, you know, this person isn't church like us at the moment, but if they hang along long enough, they will be. And we have to be careful that the goal of discipleship doesn't become about church attendance. So, I think it was Will Mancini who said that the functional commission of the North American church has been going to all the world and make attendees of church meetings, (laughs) baptize them in the name of small groups and teach them to volunteer a few hours a month, you know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I think the goal of discipleship and evangelism is not attendance. It's Christ likeness, Mm -hmm. uh, spiritual formation. And that's something so key for us to consider because once you know where you're going, you can then trace it back and realize that yeah. just asking somebody to put their hand up in a meeting, it may be part of helping them cross the line of faith. Because we see that. We do see that. So I'm not knocking that practice. Mm-hmm. But I am saying it has to be part of the journey. Yeah. I, I appreciate what you're saying there about, you know, cautiousness around that unchurched language because again the goal is not i mean i've been seeing some writing around this here in the states around church in america so closely connected to the voluntary association um that we're often seeing a decline in participation in the voluntary association as decline in church and again i'm i'm like we talked about before we started recording i'm a big believer in the gathered community of christ so i don't want to i don't want to knock the importance of gathering together as as the body of Christ, but also like, like you said, we can't boil down Christian faith to be about like, I don't know, volunteer participation in church, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, Jesus said, "Come follow me," didn't he? And there's the, yeah. the three most powerful words ever, uh, aside from "I love you." The three words that we all need to hear are "Come follow me," and then he says, "And I will make you fishers of men." And what I love about that phrase is that Jesus has come follow me, then I'm going to make you something. Hmm. Uh, and I, again, I, it feels like we've lost that in the endless cycle of church attendance and church participation, um, you know, at the expense of being spiritually formed to become more like Jesus. 
So it's not that the two are mutually exclusive, but there are times when it can feel like we go time after time, don't we, to the same old meeting in the same old way, when actually God is calling you and me 24-7 to be disciples of him. And discipleship is about um, becoming more like Jesus. It's learning with Jesus. It's loving like Jesus. And it's uh, actually losing our life for the sake of following him. And that's just a massive more deal than just um, put your tithe in on a Sunday morning mm-hmm. and volunteer in the kids' church. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, this is what I've been thinking too about lately. And, and tell me if you disagree or add some context. But like for me, I find it frustrating that there's so many people who can go to church on Sunday, at least in the States. And then like, you know, Monday through Saturday, there's just a total disconnect, but because they've checked that box of like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a good Christian because I, I'm a regular attender or whatever. Right. Well, they've in doing that, they've um, met the expectations yeah. that we have laid out for them and they yeah. ticked the success criteria. So it was interesting. We were in New York recently and I went to John Tyson's church, church of the city um, and uh, one of the phrases that he used in his talk was um, refuse to bow down to the expectations of Western Christianity, hmm. you know, uh, over your life. And essentially he was saying, don't settle for it. And that really blew my mind. I thought, yeah, there's so often that even within the church context, we, you know, culture, culture basically shapes us and forms us. But what happens is if you set the bar as, just attend and um, do X, Y, Z. And then we meet that bar. Essentially, we've become successful according to our criteria. Yeah, And this is why the phrase that I always use is that we become born again, then we get bored again. Because essentially (laughs) what that does is nobody gets out of bed in the morning, do they, and gets super excited about doing more religious activities that surely that wasn't why jesus died for us but it's got to be bigger than that and when i'm then taking that message into the context i'm in when i'm working with young people or families or Mm -hmm. teachers or high level leaders you know in in senior leadership positions if i was to outline them that's what the criteria was that you and i have often settled for they would say that's great for you right but how does it call them to this whole thing of like jesus said come follow me right and i'm gonna make you something yeah i will say i'm probably the one person who does get excited about getting up in the morning for church activities but you know that's (laughs) i'm unique in that hey look look you know when i say that i'm not um dissing who or what we are yeah you know like I absolutely, I'm like, yeah, I love the local church. Um, I love being part of a worshiping community. Um, I guess there's just this thing of like, sometimes you think, well, hang on a minute. Is that all that Jesus right. called us to? Right. Is that it? And I don't think it is. I think the discipleship journey, as we know, is presenting our lives as a living sacrifice. So there's something bigger for all of us. You know, it's, it's the old thing of like, take your everyday walking line around, sleeping, eating, life and present it as an offering before god and that's maybe what i'm getting at um, yeah when i say that it, it's bigger than that right yeah so i want to ask you about something because i think uh this is in your book too and I, I see this so often on social media and you write about that we can't argue or emote and I'm, i mean like through emotions someone into faith 
And I think for me, what most comes to mind is like in the nineties, right? At least in my world, like this whole Christian apologetics movement was just so huge. And, and I don't want to discount like apparently like someone like Lee Strobel, like, you know, someone like him came to faith because of apologetics. Yeah. I don't want to deny that some people can come to faith through these things. Um, like, I think I see this in my mainline context through this, like, like through this kind of avenue of like, well, if we're just like social justice enough, if or relevant enough, um, like people be like, oh yeah, I guess I want to become a Christian too, because so, you know, these are three different strands or ways of doing, but I think they're related. Um, talk more about why that doesn't really connect with folks. Yeah, I think it's important, isn't it, not to, um, you know, succumb to the tyranny of like, uh, it's either this or it's that. So, yeah. And often you see so much polarization, don't you, where we sort of say, well, it's either uh, good works or it's good words, you know, it's mm-hmm. faith or deeds. Um, but there's definitely this sense that some of the approach that we've taken in the past, it was based around a logic-based um, argument or presentation of the gospel, which basically meant, you know, A plus B, therefore must equal C. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we're going it with a head, art, you know, you know, approach. And what that means is that we present to people a set of presuppositions or facts, right, and almost invite them to accept it. The problem is, is for this generation particularly, um, is that we're answering questions that people aren't asking. Yeah. And then we're getting frustrated that they are not responding to our answers. So this was the big reason why I developed this youth resource clear series was because basically I was trying to look for, give me some resources for young people. And the young people in the schools that I was working, they were not asking whether or not Jesus was um, a madman, you know, liar, lunatic, or yeah, sort of God, C.S. like Lewis, in the C.S. Lewis argu- yeah. argument. Uh, and I love C.S. Lewis. They weren't asking that. They were asking one of the three big questions of life is, number one is, who am I? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the identity question. Number two is, what am I here for? Mm-hmm. That's the purpose question. Number three is, where do I belong? That's the community question. So what happens is, if we only frame our gospel presentations with logic-based and arguments, the danger is, is that we're answering questions that people aren't asking. We're presenting them with facts that are not relevant to their immediate life, even though we know for their eternity they are. So therefore, it almost becomes like the pandemic and we're talking on our Zoom calls, but we're on mute. So the idea is we're very, very passionate. You always had that guy, didn't you, on the, in the pandemic when you're on a Zoom call and they're talking passionately and the people on the other side would say, you're on mute. And then they would <laughs> unmute themselves. And there's always one guy on my team who would unmute themselves and essentially then they would carry on. But the issue is, is we as the church, we're talking passionately at the world out there, but they're not bothered in to turn around and say, you're on mute. Mm-hmm. So therefore we feel like we're being effective and they're not listening when the reality is we're just not connecting and joining the dots of where they are. And Jesus always connected the dots with what he always met people where they're at so the whole thing of evangelism and discipleship is you start where they are not where you wish they were yeah that's that's a massive thing so arguments uh and logic and presentation of facts they are a important part of of the good news but they're not necessarily the whole picture 
And certainly for me, the question is not necessarily where you end up, but it's where do you start? And Jesus was incredible at adapting the message to the person that he was, he was in front of. So, you know, you think about, did Jesus come with judgment or mercy? Well, to the person that was lost in sin and to the person that was the outcast, he came first with mercy. Mm-hmm. But to the person that called themselves a Pharisee, he came first with judgment. Yeah. So yeah. even Jesus adapted the message of the gospel to meet the person where they were at in order to provoke challenge and change. So the point is that we have the Holy Spirit and there's a work between ourselves as those who are co-workers in Christ to present the gospel in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And we're praying that the the words of our mouth and the actions of our life would meet that person where they're at and help them point them to Jesus. Yeah. So I'm really glad you brought up that thing about identity, belonging, purpose. Like I, I just heard that yesterday that were the day before listening to uh Kara Powell on Carrie Newhoff's podcast. Yeah. And I I think I've heard that before too. So let's let's dive into that because I think that's really intriguing. You, you you write or you say that those these three and obviously it's not just from you, but these three kind of core questions of identity, belonging, purpose. So now I've heard like in my context or at least in, in my part of the world, like in evangelical spaces, them using this phrase of belonging before believing. Um, I I just heard that in in my mainline context just real recently, like last week or, or two weeks ago. So I'm I'm glad that idea is starting to come around. But talk about like why that idea of belonging before believing is so important. Yeah. Um, so Kara Powell and the guys, they wrote this amazing book about teenagers, which is where those three core questions, mm-hmm. they come from and from the research. And I've just found that to play out in every aspect of ministry, actually young people and adults. Um, belonging before believing is a phrase which actually is a bit of an ancient one, really, in many ways. It's not a new idea. So here in the UK, one of the ways that the gospel spread um, you know, over a thousand years ago was through the saints mm-hmm. who would, the monks would come and they first came to the UK um, from many, many parts of the world. And they would move into a community and they would love people and show people hospitality. They would live with the rule of life that they lived where they were expressing Christ mm-hmm. and they would live amongst the people and they would go around and essentially build community where they were and help people feel like they belonged to something bigger than themselves before they believed in the message. So this idea of belonging before believing, I think it's actually a big part of what's gone before that we can grasp hold of again to help people again, because typically the opposite would take place in many churches where we would expect people to come in again ready to go and also to sign up to a set of expectations and uh, agree again a set of like belief system or a a code of behavior yeah and then you're part of the gang but actually you know i've just started going to a boxer size class recently Mm -hmm. which is really interesting just to get to know new people and connect and my boxer size class they experience um they they practice straight from day one belonging before you can actually be part of something and be good enough to actually Hmm. even do boxer size so you know you don't know everything when you're part of it 
But the fact that you've showed up and want to be part of it, they accept you in straight away. Yet so often the church does the opposite of what you can get in every gym club Mm -hmm. around the country. So this thing of belonging before you believe is vital. And it's a massive part of, I think, then helping um, use the tool of hospitality to invite people into an understanding of Christ and experience of you. Because when people, before they make big decisions about God, they're often making little decisions about you and me. Yeah. So actually, evangelism and discipleship is show and tell. So it's we show them something, hmm. and then mm-hmm. we tell them about it. It's the two go hand in hand. So again, it's not either or. We're not polarizing it. It's not the um, whether or not that phrase is even real. But it's from St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah. Preach the gospel at all time, if, if necessary, use words. Right. It's, it's basically show and tell. You show it with your life and you tell it with your words. Um, and as Peter says, he says, you know, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So it's all built into scripture. So unless we help people belong to something bigger than themselves and invite them in, then what we're doing is we're missing out on their contribution to the kingdom of God and to the body of Christ. And we're also assuming that people have to be at a certain standard before they get in, which is not the gospel, or they have to meet a set of criteria before they can be part of us, which is not the gospel. And um, I think that belonging before you believe is something that all believers should practice in their own life first before they then you know, bring it into church communities. Absolutely. But actually, we can do this, can't we? So if you come around my house, we like to create community out of whoever's there, so mm-hmm. accepting people for where they're at. Again, meet people where they're at, and you begin to build community. It doesn't mean that you compromise your distinctiveness, but it means that you invite people to experience uh, and be part of what you've uh, come to know in Christ. Hmm. I think this is so important, and I'm, I just want to stay on this because it's. I think no matter one's context, and again, I'm being in a lot of mainline contexts, I'm, I'm thinking it through this lens right now as we're talking, like, you know, use the word hospitality. Like, I can imagine so many ways in which that belonging before believing can be relevant. I'm, I'm also wondering, like, you know, a lot of more traditional church contexts, there's, there's very much like a physicality of the Christian faith. And I also wondered, like, is that part of it too? Like, when you're doing these physical practices, you know, like it depends on kind of like liturgical your practice faith tradition is. Um, Does that make sense? You kind of like physicality your way into faith. I mean, absolutely. And there's loads of um, research and evidence coming out around particularly with the next generation of uh, experiencing faith. Mm -hmm. And it's so, so you talked earlier about spiritual practices and disciplines that actually the very nature of young people trying out a spiritual practice mm-hmm. even before they believe that say you know try praying even without having to inverted commas quote-unquote believe in prayer actually leads people to change their view and perspective because once you've been in it and experienced it yeah then it's very difficult to deny it whereas if i was to sit you down and say, I'm now going to do an hour-long teaching right. on prayer as a topic. Huh. I mean, again, Jesus didn't do that. Right. He, he basically said, when you pray, 
Yeah. Part of his teaching on prayer was when you pray. So the expectation was that they were going to practice this and try it, no matter how failed they were or, or where they were at on their journey. So the idea of experience, experiential learning is a big part of belonging. Um, again, like when people are looking at your life and my life, they're wondering, what does today's God really mean to him? You know, how does Dave deal with when he faces a tough, difficult time? Where does he find hope? They're watching our lives all the time. Uh, and often there's a process and journey to this. So you have to live alongside. You have to walk parallel with people for this to really play out. Um, I feel like when it comes to experiencing as well, it's something which the whole church, not just those outside the church, need to grasp hold of again, especially in the realm of discipleship. So you touched on a really good point there. So as an educator, um, we working in schools, one of the things that teachers always talk about is the difference between teaching and learning. Mm-hmm. So actually, the church is very full of teaching. So that is, I'm delivering a message. Right. Whereas Jesus is concerned about learning. Yeah. So we have inspectors that come into classrooms to check. Uh, and when they enter a classroom door, the first thing they do is they don't look at the person at the front who could be like, be very passionate about teaching great things, yeah. you know, putting something on yeah. the chalkboard or whatever. They look at the students. They look at how engaged are the students and are they learning to put into practice what's been said at the front. Well, if we applied that same criteria to church life, very quickly we begin to realize that we've lost that sense of experiential learning because, you know, church would change overnight, wouldn't it, if we said, okay, next Sunday you've genuinely got to put into practice the words that you're going to hear from the front. Uh, that's the first thing. And secondly, you're going to have to teach it to somebody else. Yeah. Well, that would be a game changer. And I think that's where this whole area of experiential um, connection community comes in and what's amazing about that is if if we recapture that as part of the culture of church anybody can get involved in it mm-hmm. anybody can start because we all recognize that we're in different places in this whole thing so we want to be um always wear our learner plates you know we always want to have that learner sign on us and say i'm a learner i'm a, i'm becoming a disciple why don't you join in with me <laughs> This is, you know, I'm, I'm appreciating these words a lot. I have to kind of like translate from your <laughs> UK English right to, to American English, yeah. but I, I appreciate your thoughts here. So I'm again thinking about you being in the context of working with a lot of young people and students. Um, I'm thinking about something that's been in my been on my heart of late of just like the real real crisis of mental health among young people in, in, in America, at least. And I, I can't imagine it's too different, right, in your context. Um, certainly there's just a, a real, I don't want to say, a, a significant decline, right, amongst young people among in church attendance and, and at least acknowledgement of having a faith. So you're, you're you know, you're in the UK, which in, in many ways you might judge as being more secular, I suppose, uh, than at least here in the States. And there's certainly a sense that America is headed in that direction. So when you think about like what's resonating with young people over there, like what are their deepest longings and yearnings and, and how have you seen some resonance in your ministry with them? Yeah, I think we've seen a complete resetting of the board of understanding of Christianity and faith and religious language. So 
maybe some of the things that would have worked even when I first started out 25 years ago in terms of ways of presenting, connecting, they no longer um, sort of scratch where young people are itching. So the first thing is, and I think this is coming for America if it's not quite there yet, is we're seeing a complete resetting of the board where I describe it almost like fresh snow, where when you're talking about Christianity and faith, they've no longer got the baggage yeah. of what their parents believed hmm. or what they heard growing up or some sort of myth or version of it. They just don't have anything. Interesting. So it's completely irrelevant for us to come in um, or they have a very distant stereotype. So right. when you and me mentioned the word church, yeah, immediately it comes with a whole set of um, understandings right. or dynamics around what that is. When you say church to a young person, they're probably thinking of a very old traditional, you know, like church service that their grandma mm -hmm. went to that maybe they've been to a wedding at or, or maybe a funeral. Mm -hmm. But other than that, their church experience is limited. Um, so, you know, interestingly enough, like even amongst young people, like we working with young people now who've never met a married couple. Oh wow! So they've they've grown they've grown up in a situation where maybe living with a single parent. I, so one of the things I expected that we like do I expected like another adjective there, you know, like no, that was my pause. Couple. Yeah. So this I'm trying to paint a picture right. of what's going on for us. So they grow up maybe with a single parent, maybe mum and dad are together. Um, but so one of the things that we do is we're trying to talk about say committed relationships or trying to present. Um, Christian perspective on something mm -hmm. and you've got to go so far back from where you think you want to start. And it's mm -hmm. very frustrating. So, you know, we're one of the lessons that we do is we actually get married couples to come in and sit with young people and they can ask them any question they want. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like presenting them in a zoo sort of setting. Wow. It's like we're going to the zoo to see a married couple. Um, so if you're dealing with 11, 12, 13 year olds who never met a married couple, the point is, a lot of our parameters of what we would traditionally say is like faith or points of religiosity or uh, any kind of connection with church just isn't there. So what we have to do, what works is we have to do what we're using a lot in, in this nation is the idea of stirring spiritual curiosity. Okay. So you have to go right back to before we can present the gospel, we have to help young people understand that they have a soul and they have a spirit and that um, that they have an identity and a purpose that is more than meets the eye. So they're more than their five senses. You have to help young people understand that fame isn't the only goal yeah. worth following, that money isn't the only thing you should be pursuing. Uh, and we have to start to cause them to ask questions about themselves and their lives. Why is it that when you stand in front of, an amazing you see a picture of the grand canyon why do you feel a sense right. of awe and wonder why is it that when there's an earthquake on the other side of the world something inside you stirs yeah and says that you want to go and help that person um why is it that when you you feel this sense of connection with music when you listen to music why do we feel like that's coming from somewhere where did that come from so we're having to help young people realize that they're more than an algorithm that they're more than just um, this kind of extension of a digital phone in their hands, that they're more than just a video that they see 
on TikTok, they're more than just the likes they get on social media, that they are a human living in uh, with a body, but you have a spirit inside that, that body. So once you begin to stir spiritual curiosity to want to know more, then you can start to say to young people, okay, if you have a spirit, you know, like where did that spirit come from? Mm-hmm. What if the best argument for the existence of God is you? Hmm. So, you know, if I've got my phone, my phone is made up of the shell, it's made up of the operating system, and it's made up of the SIM card. So I, I, and actually nothing works without the SIM card in it. So I've got the shell, I've got the operating system. That's like your mind and body. Right. But the spirit is the SIM card, the thing that causes you to connect with other people and to connect with something greater than yourselves. So we're having to teach young people that they are spiritual beings. And in recognizing that, then begin to ask questions about where did that spirit come from? Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm thinking like, I'm going to use some bigger language. Like you're you're essentially having to try to re-enchant people, if you Correct. know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or reintroduce apologetics. So you talked about the logic argument earlier. Right. So we're re-enchanting people. We're re-apologeticizing people, you know. Yeah. We're, we're trying to start from page one and the tremendous opportunity in that is there isn't some of the baggage that we've picked up around from our generation and before the tremendous challenge of that is that if we don't do that then we're going to lose a generation potentially to just believe in that life is what they're seeing from their face well again i'm thinking about this through the lens of andrew root and his his um Yep. His work with Charles Taylor and the idea of a secular age and that, you know, most of us live in a world as if God doesn't exist. There is no God. There could be no God. So, again, as I'm hearing it, like, you've got to kind of do the world, the work of building at least the possibility that God could exist. And then if they can say, hey, God, maybe God does exist, you know, then it's like, oh, then my life does have purpose and meaning and I do have an identity, Right. And that identity can be found in Christ rather than like, uh, again, to use Root's language, like having to perform identity on social media to seek the approval of others. That feels like good news, right? Suddenly when you frame it that way. <laughs> yeah. And again, when we're talking about Jesus, we've got to present this idea that, first of all, I hope young people understand he was real. He was a you know, real yeah. person, yeah. real historical, but then he's relevant. Then we've got a help people understand that he's a reflection of who God was. So if we want to know what God was like, we just look at Jesus and then comes in the rescuer, the idea that he actually can rescue us and save us. Then comes in the revolutionary. So the idea that he can um, take our lives and cause to be parts of it bigger than ourselves. There's an adventure to go on mm-hmm. and then we get the relationship. So there's, there's actually this whole the six hours and the journey of that there to show that again, traditionally where we might have said, you've sinned, you've messed up, right. you, need, you need to ask Jesus into your heart so you can get to heaven. Well, that covers the rescuer part of it. Mm-hmm. But actually now we're having to do a much more 360 degree uh, view and expression of who Christ was in order to help re-enchant people and help them understand that there is a bigger purpose out there for their life. Yeah, this is such interesting stuff because again, I think, this is cliche, but I think it's fair to think about like the UK is ahead of the States, at least in this development of religiosity. So, um, 
we're kind of running along here. I want to respect your time. So let me ask you a question here before we take a break. Like what you've obviously been in, in the ministry, uh, professionally speaking in a church context, like what, what advice would you give to pastors or church leaders, like in the States here, as they think about like trying to share the, the message of Jesus in a culture that's changing rapidly? I think that it's that understanding that people are very spiritually hungry mm. and that they are longing for hope. And what we have to do is if we genuinely believe that we have good news, we have to take a long, hard look at ourselves and say, are we actually putting up more barriers for people yeah. and more challenges for people in hearing and understanding that gospel? And if the gap is so wide between where we're at and where the world around us is, how do we move? Because if Jesus genuinely calls us to this stuff, the, go the good news message starts with this command to go, so we've got to go. The encouragement is that when we go, I just love this. I love that scripture so much because Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. And then he says, surely I am with you mm. even to the end of the age. So the incredible encouragement for me is that when we're doing this stuff, that we don't have to be scared. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to feel like we're on the losing side. God is with us as we go. And that just brings me great courage and makes me feel that even somebody like me that hasn't got it all together hmm. all the time can actually do what Jesus told us to do. And I really want to encourage pastors to, as they reassess this for themselves, is to make sure that your church is, feels empowered that they can do this. Yeah, yeah, good stuff there. Again, the book is Parallel Faith, Walking Along Alongside Others on Their Journey to Christ. Uh, let's take a break and come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Dave Bowden. So Dave, thanks so much for your time. Closing questions, always encourage folks to take these as seriously or not as you'd like to. Uh, but if you're Pope for a day, what does that day look like for you? Okay, I've thought long and hard about this. And obviously the answer that I should give is that I would go for world peace right. or try and make big changes. But I sort of feel like if that was going to happen, it probably already would have happened. So I would spend the day <laughs> trying to tour the underground secret parts of the Vatican City because oh, it fascinates you. me. Like, what is under that place? What is going on in there? I want to see all the artifacts. Yeah. I want to know what's behind the scenes. Yeah. I want to spend as much of that 24 hours as possible so that afterwards I have story after story uh, for the rest of my life. Yeah, I like that. You know, that's that's reasonable too. Like, you know, if you've gotten I mean, no offense, Dave, like you're a great guy from these little bit of interaction we've had like so but like no offense but like if you've gotten the pope like better things have happened already right yeah <laughs> so we don't need to get world That's peace right. so so i want to know what's in all the secret vaults um a theologian or historical christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life i need to guess but the answer is going to be c.s lewis mm. of course um, so I'm a huge fan of C.S. Lewis. I'm a huge fan of his conversion process of how he was a slow burner in, in how he came to faith. I'm a huge fan of the fact that he, him and Tolkien were great friends in Oxford. Mm -hmm. And just two weekends ago, I was there in Oxford walking Addison's walk, which is the one mile loop where Tolkien and Lewis used to walk alongside and debate about faith before he came to Christ. Hmm. And that just fascinates me. And, and I just long to be a fly on the wall 
or you know some some way of hearing those conversations mm-hmm. and walking with those two guys Tolkien Lewis uh, on their journey to Christ that just, that, that's mind blowing to me so definitely C.S. Lewis although I'm slightly worried that I wouldn't like him <laughs> feel that way that if you met your heroes yeah right yeah for sure yeah 100% um what do you think history will remember from our current time and place. And again, this is a big, broad hour here since you're across the pond. But I don't know if you want to talk talk from your time and place or how you see the world. Answer that as you see fit. I think that it'll be the rise of AI Mm -hmm. and the kind of the implementation of technology that completely changes the game even more than we've already experienced. Um, I know you talked with Jay Kim about um, digital analog Christianity mm-hmm. and faith. And I feel like Christians have probably yet to even grasp what's going on with the fact that we've all got this, uh, you know, small mobile phone that we carry around with us everywhere. And it's an I the algorithm has become our idol. Right. Um, but I think with what's coming is that there's going to be more and more shifts that we'll look back on and say, this was the genuine start of a technological revolution I'm not negative about that personally, and I'm reading a lot about it at the moment, as I'm sure you are as well, about what's happening and where we're going. Um, And it's the age-old thing of, like, with great power comes great Mm -hmm. responsibility. Mm -hmm. And with new technology comes new ways of some things are going to change, some things are going to go away, new things will rise up. So I'm not – I'm probably tech positive overall. Yeah. But I do feel that they'll look back on this decade. And interestingly enough, I don't think we'll be talking as much about the pandemic uh, as we are about what's really going on with technology. And wow. I think we'll look back on this time as well as um, a season when, particularly amongst young people, I think we could be headed towards um, a major shift in the approach to social media and mobile phones with young people. Yeah. In terms of yeah. them, them having health warnings. Right. Yeah. I think there's been a few stories about in the States here, some school districts banning schools in the classroom or in the school. And yeah, I mean, yeah. We're already there in the UK. We've seen okay. it. I think um, there's now teachers who are advocating for, you know, um, you should not have a phone under 16, make wow. it illegal. Wow. Um, I don't think that will happen. Yeah. But I think that. When you're asking, looking back on this season, once we truly know the impact of what social media, the algorithms, rise of AI and technology has had on our mental health Mm -hmm. that we mentioned earlier, and the reality, it it will be considered like smoking. You know, when you used to see those adverts of the doctors smoking, (laughs) I think we'll look back and, you know, some person in the future will be like, oh, I can't believe they let their kids do X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What do you hope for the future of Christianity? I really hope and believe that the thing that Jesus called us originally to do, which was to become more like him, that there will be communities, there'll be outposts of heaven all over the world. There'll be communities of people that genuinely demonstrate the love of Christ and the power of Christ um, into the context that they're called into. So I'm a firm believer in, you know, being salt, in communities, being the light that Jesus calls us to do. And my hope for the future is that we'll get hold of that and we'll move away from polarization. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll move away from some of the politicalization of the gospel and we'll get back to being the hands and feet of Jesus 
and sharing good news and being living holy lives that genuinely where we're transformed uh, and our spiritual formation becomes um shines like a light to other people so that they want to be like us mm-hmm. because at the moment it doesn't feel like that right yeah it doesn't feel like there's a lot of people aspiring to be like the christians <laughs> so no. my hope for the future is that we get to that place yeah and then everything will change yeah okay so i'm gonna ask you one more question if i may um yeah so i'm thinking about this in context of c.s lewis who's the is it aslan the, the lion character and I'm not a huge C.S. Lewis guy, so forgive me, but I've been thinking about this for a while, having heard it in, seems like since you're a big C.S. Lewis guy, I got to ask you, this idea that Aslan, he's like the, the the Christ figure, right? That he's both loving and comforting, but also has a scary side to him. And, and I'm really intrigued by that metaphor of God, uh, especially again, and again, I'm really like an Andrew Root fanboy here. <laughs> Um, yeah, but in Root's writing and Karl Barth and other people, this idea that like, um, this idea that we can't, we just can't quite contain God. And there's some element of God that I don't know is scary is the right word, but is beyond comprehension. And we want to have with some reverence and respect, lest God become like, I don't know, a stuffed animal, right? <laughs> right. Rather than a, a real lion, a stuffed, stuffed lion that we can carry around. Yeah. Does that does that track? Uh, yeah, I think it's. I mean, there's one of the quotes, and I'll, and I'll quote it wrong, but it's you know the idea of one of the characters talks about Aslan saying that he's you know he, he's he's good, mm-hmm. um, and he's like, yeah, he is good, but he's not necessarily safe. Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily mm-hmm. somebody that you. Um, there's this is whole side. There's a wild side, right. God, isn't there? That we that is uncontainable. I mean, that's, that's faith, think, right? Isn't it? That we'd say like, there's something about, there's something about this faith, I think, that is like, to use that word, like there's not, I mean, when I think about the gospel message of Jesus, like, when I really think about it, I'm like, oh my goodness, like there's, that that's hard. Like, it's not so safe, that, right? Yeah. It's not safe. And I think we've got to do a lot of work around what, you know, what I would describe the term as the rewilding of Jesus. Yeah. You know, he has been domesticized. Yeah. He has been tamed and made like a, a, a pussycat really, but he is a lion. And that's, I think what C.S. Lewis was getting at. But I feel like there's this whole thing in when we understand like who Jesus is, he's the reflection, a visible image of an invisible God. And I just don't hear it talked about enough in church that, Jesus reflects exactly what God is like. But if we look at Jesus, he was wild. Mm -hmm. You know, he was somebody that just confounded people left, right, and center. I mean, listen to my dwell app today, and he's just causing more questions and answers. He's he's bringing joy and he's wreaking havoc in equal measure. (laughs) One minute he seems perfectly like loving and and caring and and, like pulling people in. The next minute he's saying, you foolish and wicked generation. Yeah. Um, you know, how long must I put up with you? And there's some stuff that we've got to contend with in the gospel that I feel like the lion, you know, is is definitely somebody that we need to get to know or try to get to know or, or live a little bit more in reverence of than we have done before. Because otherwise what happens is Jesus becomes another version of the algorithm yeah. and he becomes something that we keep in our pocket and he refuses to be that in our life. Boy, I'm writing that down. 
or else another version of the algorithm. I feel like I should write that. Yeah, you well. should. <laughs> that seems to be what I'm good at. This podcast is like helping other people come up with good things. <laughs> good content. Love that. Well, uh, Dave, I really appreciate your time. Uh, share where people can connect with you. Yeah, so I write regularly on Substack, which is such a brilliant platform. I love Substack. Uh, at at Um You can also get me on the website, which is daveboden.uk, or I'm over on Instagram at daveboden too. Awesome. Well, this has been a great conversation. I hope uh, hope for our listeners as well. Uh, always leave folks with a word of peace, so may God's peace be with you. And also to you, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace.